like what is progress is there's there's a million different forms of it <laughs> there's, there's progress of consciousness there's progress of political rights you know in theory there's progress of political rights in practice there's economic progress there's progress in standard of living there's technological and intellectual progress and which ones to prioritize and which ones to measure mm-hmm. uh, are is very difficult to decide. Hi, and welcome back to The Plot, a podcast on writing and how our words and stories are shaping the world today. I'm Sean Douglas, I'm an arts journalist and podcaster, and today I'm joined by playwright Eleanor Burgess for a conversation on her hit play, The Niceties. The Niceties is everywhere this season. I just saw it last week in Milwaukee, but you can also find it in other major cities across the U.S. and in London, and it is chock full of things to discuss. For anyone new to Burgess and her work, she grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, studied history at Yale College, and has her MFA in dramatic writing from NYU. Her other plays include Chill, Start Down, These Dying Generations, and Mocha, and she is also writing for HBO's upcoming Perry Mason. But today we'll be talking about The Niceties, and if you don't know the play, that's okay. We won't really be talking about the play itself, which is better left unspoiled anyway, but about the subjects it covers, like race, history, and American progress, as well as the tremendous uncertainties that exist in any conversation on deep moral subjects like these. The Niceties tells a story about a white history professor meeting with an African-American student at an unnamed prestigious university. As the professor challenges the conclusions of a paper the student has written, the women are soon swept up in an intense debate rooted in their vastly different perspectives on American history. I won't give away more about it than that, but I will say that it is such an accessible yet excitingly intellectual play that I actually found it a bit trickier than usual to form interview questions on it. It's not that it doesn't invite questions, but rather it poses so many and digs so directly into them, it was hard to know where to begin without simply summarizing much of the play itself in the process. What we ended up with was a discussion focused on questions more than answers, and the importance of humility and understanding in a culture that so often prioritizes the loudest, most uncompromising voices. If you're feeling the fatigue of living in a country with such a polarized and often combative political climate, I think Burgess's openness and hope for more understanding will resonate with you. Is incremental progress something to celebrate or reject? Is the story of America one of great achievements or great injustices? And for a new parent like Burgess, how do you raise a child in such a morally complex world? We don't have all the answers, but Burgess serves as an excellent guide through these conundrums of contemporary American life. So with that said, let's get started with Eleanor Burgess and the many uncertainties of the niceties. Hi, Eleanor. Thanks for being on the plot today. Thanks for Um, having me. I just saw the niceties yesterday, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Awesome. So I think we'll just start with the most obvious question. I know a lot of people know this play already, but for anyone who doesn't, do you want to just say what it's about and how you came to write about this? Sure. Uh, the play is about a student and a professor, uh, a black female college student uh, and a white female history professor uh, in an elite school in the Northeast. 
who meet to discuss the student's history paper and who disagree about thesis. Uh, and the disagreement leads to a much, much larger uh, disagreement about the world uh, that sort of changes both of their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story was originally inspired by um, an event that happened at Yale in the fall of 2015. Um, it started with sort of a, a series of emails about um, some administrators sent an email about uh, Halloween was coming up, and they sent an email to sort of say, you know, students, please be sensitive to the fact that, you know, wearing other people's identities as costumes can be uh, very hurtful. And there was, sorry, there's a truck backing up. Uh, I can start over with the, Oh, no, that's fine. Just, just don't from. get hit by the truck. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, there was an incident at Yale in the fall of 2015, and uh, a professor sent an email to sort of a subset of students uh, saying that she didn't think it was the university's place to tell people what they should or shouldn't be wearing and what was or wasn't offensive, and students should work it out for themselves. And this sort of initial disagreement launched a much, much larger conversation about the experience that students of color were having and had had on that campus and with its curriculum and with its faculty and its student body. And uh, that sort of conversation kept spiraling into a larger and larger conversation. And I found it sort of fascinating how this community was kind of um, riven apart so so rapidly. Um, how, you know, you just pulled one thread and everything kept unraveling and that became the initial impetus right to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I, I thought was really impressive about this play is that this is one of the first times that after coming home and being just in a different headspace and doing different things, I thought to myself, oh, I should check and see how that situation went. Like, I should look up online and see what happened to those people. And for like <laughs> half a second, I like forgot that they weren't fictional characters. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's wonderful. And, you know, I should be very clear for people who haven't seen the play mm-hmm. that no part of that initial debate ended up in the play, you know, it's not about yeah. Halloween costumes, yeah. and none of the characters are based on the people, like the actual human beings involved, um, and none of the words or things that were said, you know, it's really not, um, that was sort of the jumping off point in my thinking that got me started thinking about the things that led to me writing the play, but, you know, nothing about how it all unfolded at Yale, bits of it ended up uh, in the play, but really it's not designed to be documentary in any sense of the word and mm-hmm. and frequently departs from what happened uh, from its earliest moments. Yeah, this play is more about, and I wasn't going to go too into the plot because I, I think it's probably good to not spoil anything about it. But yeah, this, people should see it. Yeah, people should. Um, but I'll it deals it. more with questions about American history um, yeah. and, and that legacy. And so, it starts with yeah, a disagreement oh, over a paper. Yeah, it starts mm-hmm. with a disagreement about America's history and um, what America has been like becomes a disagreement about what it is like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you were hired by Yale today and they wanted a playwright to teach an American history class, what would you teach? And can we all take this course? <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. I mean, that's a really complicated question and how much time do you have because you know one of the things that I I used to be a high school history teacher not a college history professor but a high school history teacher um and the teaches the the courses that I taught 
uh, included AP U.S. history, um, which to some degree is exactly this question, although with AP U.S. history, you have a curriculum that's sort of determined by the exam. So you, you know you're teaching a certain amount of content uh, that's sort of predetermined by the college board, um, which makes the job easier. You know, I think that um, since I was in college, history has done a better job of getting into the fact that there's a multiplicity of perspectives on nearly every event and that, you know, the same thing that was wonderful for one group of people was terrible for another group of people. And, uh, you know, that pieces of progress have often been incomplete. But I think that, you know, one of the things I talk about in the class is that you have to take multiple different classes. You know, it's, uh, it's very difficult to say like, this is the story of American history. Um, there's four or five or 10 stories of American history, you know? So I know the parts that excite me. I know the parts that resonate with me, which are often sort of intellectual history, reform history. Um, and it is, I have this in common with the professor in the play to some degree, I'm interested in sort of the story of American progress and the story of American, um, you know, the most inspiring points of history often interest me, but for other people to tell the inspiring side is to gloss over the dark sides. So, you know, you have to listen to both points of view, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I literally have one of my questions is, is how do you define progress? So I think we'll just jump to that one. What would you consider progress and what is maybe <laughs> your vision of progress for the future? I mean, I think a lot of uh, the play is sort of about, my own confusion with these topics. Um, one of the points of disagreement in the play is sort of the idea of incremental progress versus perfect progress. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, for instance, for just one instance, when you talk about, um, you know, voting rights in America, it's sort of this long, long story of like the idea that there was such a thing as, you know, the right of the people to determine the government, then, the franchise slowly broadening to include, you know, white men without property and the franchise legally broadening in 1865 to include black men, except, you know, with voter repression, it didn't. And then, you know, uh, in 1919, legally broadening to include uh, women, except it didn't really in practice include black women or Asian women, uh, Asian American women, you know, um, <laughs> like, and this sort of slow, 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 um, pro and and, and uh, I've, with the question of you know where do American Indians fit in as citizens and and non-citizens and like at what point do they get the right to vote and um, to what degree do they want that right versus want autonomous self-government you know um, the question of whether all of that is like a great story about how progress kept getting made over and over again or whether all of that is this sort of terrible story about how progress is often like really incomplete and compromised and kind of leaves behind exactly the people who shouldn't be left behind is an active debate in the play. That was a really mm -hmm. long way of saying <laughs> basically one of the key issues in the play is, uh, you know, is incremental progress something to be excited about or is incremental progress something to be frustrated with and to reject because it often you know, leaves behind exactly the people who shouldn't be left behind. And so I don't know the answer to that. I probably tend temperamentally to be, you know, comfortable and excited about incremental progress to be like, well, anything is any progress is good progress. And we have to be, you know, grateful for 
not grateful for, but excited about anything that gets better. Um, that's probably just how I am temperamentally, but that doesn't mean that it's the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what is progress? Is such a giant question. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not even getting into sort of standard of living progress, like technological innovation progress, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I just left it open so you could take it in whatever direction you wanted. Yeah, I mean, my mm-hmm. problem is I'm always, you've seen my plan, I'm always going to take things in like 80,000 directions. Mm-hmm. Like, what is progress is, there's there's a million different forms of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's progress of consciousness, there's progress of political rights, you know, in theory, there's progress of political rights in practice, there's economic progress, there's progress in standard of living, there's technological and intellectual progress, and which ones to prioritize and which ones to measure mm-hmm. uh, are is very difficult to decide. Mm-hmm. I tend to get into a quagmire the second I'm asked a question, which is why I write plays instead of writing like essays. I don't have mm-hmm. answers. I have questions and disagreements mm-hmm. with myself. No, that was a great answer. Um, oh, and well, another well, thing well. that I think this play does really well, kind of on that same notion, is that it really incriminates the liberal audience that is probably watching it. And I feel like there are probably lesser versions of, this is not the play you wrote, but someone could have gone into these ideas, come up with kind of a, a like, they could have just ended on the idea of, like, questioning, you know, who tells the American history story and just kind of left it at that. And a liberal audience could have left feeling like, yeah, we feel validated. We all share this idea that history wasn't told the perfect way, and it could have just been kind of a happy ending for the liberal audience. And I really admire the way you don't do that at all. And so I was wondering how, like, what are your thoughts on just kind of the discourse that's going on right now in the left? And and there is this tension between the incrementalists versus people who are more idealistic um, and people who say like, oh, well, this candidate speaks to my heart or this candidate speaks to my head. Um, and I was just in your own life. How do you feel like you are able to bridge those divides among maybe the liberal people that you encounter? And, and how can we do a better job of communicating within the left? <laughs> that is probably the um, longest was, question like, I've ever asked on this podcast. I'll try to, I'll try to I apologize that that came out kind of long. Um, you know, I first of all, I think one thing is that the political discourse has changed enormously since I first wrote this play, because I first wrote this play when the play is set in the spring of 2016. Um so how were people on the left talking to each other then versus now has been so enormously shaped by the 2016 election and, and enormously changed and um, feelings about incremental progress and, you know, unity have on the one hand been sort of uh, exploded by, um, you know, Sanders' 2016 campaign and, you know, the moving of many of the popular candidates further towards the left. But on the other hand, you know, the feeling of, well, but even if it's not my dream candidate, I'm still going to gun for whoever it is because uh, I'm so opposed to, you know, who's on the right has also intensified. So, like, on the one hand, disagreements are much more intense, but on the other hand, the desire to move past those disagreements is also, I think, fairly fervent. Um, We'll see how that all plays out. You know, I do think that we are very much still, perhaps even more so than when I wrote the play, in this sort of moment of 
what do you do with partial imperfection? You know, everything from an imperfection is a light way to put it. Uh, but what do you do with very flawed people? Um, where you like some of what they did and everything from, um, you know, Al Franken to, uh, Kamala Harris's, you know, record as a, as an attorney to, you know, every single candidate's past to obviously we're seeing this with sort of celebrities, public commentators. Uh, I don't think that we've really figured that out as a society at all. And I think that what was starting to show up as a major issue when I first wrote the play has been just sort of, um, burgeoned and you know i i have some of my own thoughts about it but i think like many people and probably like many i don't know i think like many people i've become a bit more cautious and a bit more circumspect about what i say or think about any of those issues partly out of you know fear uh because it does feel like there are reprisals for ever having said something wrong but also partly out of complete non-knowledge you know i'm humble enough to think that i don't know what the moral right answer is in terms of like how much you tolerate a flaw i'd have to be a supercomputer with you know perfect ai to run the chaos theory of how's the best way to handle that um and and then maybe i'm saying this because i've been rewatching the good place recently that raises mm -hmm. all kinds of ethical questions about like are we talking about like utilitarian standpoint to Kantian standpoint like mm -hmm. i don't know the answer to that <laughs> i feel like you're asking me all these questions so like how do you handle this and the answer is i never know how to handle anything if mm -hmm. i knew how to handle things i would not be a writer i would be you know a politician or an activist and i write because i'm confused and i guess i hope that my plays can be a jumping off point for other people who are you know smarter and gutsier than me to talk to each other and make up their minds and sort of take action in the world but mm -hmm. i don't have answers okay. no i think i think that is an answer though i think that's a very i think that's actually a very self-aware answer um and i think more people could probably benefit from a, a place of of unknowing in some of these situations or or, or being receptive well and i think mm -hmm. that that to which I know anything, uh, I think it's very hard to say what the right thing to do is, is what I know. And that doesn't mean that we can just sit there doing nothing. But I think that a, a little bit of an attempt to be humble and to extend some grace and to leave room for people to grow and to leave room for the possibility of disagreement all while sort of drawing bright, bright lines in the sand and saying there's things that aren't okay. You know, mm -hmm. I think we're all sort of collectively grappling for what, or where that balance lies. And we're doing so in an environment where the people who have the most confidence, the strongest opinions, the least doubt, are often the people who speak up the loudest and get the most traction. And, uh, and that's weird. And I, I think that it's going to take time and, and readjustment and I don't know where we're going to end up and I don't think I have the right answer, but yeah. And I don't I know that anyone has that answer. Yeah. I don't know that anyone has that answer. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think it's worth pushing on the fact that it's not, this isn't easy. It's not easy to be a human being and finding, you know, how to be an okay human being in the world uh, is not easy. And a, a little bit of sort of seeing each other struggling with that would be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then if you have time for one more question, I always like to end with, what is an interesting or memorable conversation that you've had recently? And it might have to do with this. It might have nothing to do with this. Um, oh. But just any interesting or memorable conversation that you've had. Interesting or memorable conversation I've had recently. I mean, <laughs> so something funny in my personal life, I, I had a baby recently. I had a baby oh, congratulations. Uh, four months ago. Thank you. Um, and so, so much of the conversations that are on my mind right now, you know, I'm speaking uh, every night with my husband about like, oh my gosh, what is a human being? Uh, and, you know, seeing uh, her earliest impulses and instincts and trying to figure out like, what do you tell a child about the world? I mean, she can't speak yet. So right now I tell her like, bah, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm trying to sort of, I've been talking to a lot of mothers and fathers and parents about how, how do we prepare people for the world? And, and that's so fundamentally related to what is a human being and what are our duties? Uh, so it's been a kaleidoscope of fascinating conversations all summer. Um, and I couldn't necessarily pinpoint one of them, but they, it's been opening my mind in a lot of wonderful ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess we can leave it on that. Just what is a human? Yeah. What is, what is a human? What should a human be? What mm -hmm. is a human and what should a human be? Those are, uh, mm -hmm. and, and how big is the gap between those two mm -hmm. things? How, how does your baby define progress? Uh, you know, she's trying to roll over. So I think right now she would define that as major progress. Yeah. Incrementalism. Or like getting, getting larger toys into her mouth. Yep. Increment. Mm -hmm. She's an incrementalist. Okay. The evidence suggests. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for this conversation, Eleanor. Is there anything you want to promote or plug before we go or any other projects you have going on? The Night City is, is happening in a lot of cities uh, this season. It's going to be in Milwaukee, but it's also in... Uh, Chicago, it's in Austin, it's in Philadelphia, it's in San Francisco, it's in London uh, next month. Um, I'm not remembering all the places. Um, and it's also available to read from Samuel French. So if this has seemed like an interesting conversation at all, like, please check it out. Yeah, uh, people should really check this out. It's good. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. And, and you have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. That was Eleanor Burgess on her play, The Niceties. The Niceties is receiving many productions across the U.S. and London this season, and you can visit eleanorburgess.com for full information about the play, its future productions, and her other work. The Niceties is also available in print from Samuel French. The plot is a production from me, Sean Douglas, and the credits theme music is by Tan Chong Yu. If you like this show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you know anyone else you think might like this show, please also consider recommending it or sharing it online where more people can discover it. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Sean Douglas underscore and this show at The Plot Podcast. Thank you again to Eleanor Burgess. That's our show. And thank you for listening.